Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. My guest today on the A-Game Podcast is Jake MF and Dean, standing for multifamily. There's some other things as well because he's a bad MF-er. When you look at what this guy has done, he's a big dude, he's a successful guy, and he kicks butt in real estate, and he also literally kicks butt. He's a jiu-jitsu guy, he's an MMA guy. He and I connected through Tyler Devereaux, so shout out to Tyler Devereaux, former A-Game Podcast uh, guest as well. I got to have him back on. Multifamily master, great guy, awesome mindset, perspective, everything. So I didn't even realize until we jumped on what a similar path that Jake and I have had for kind of getting into the industry, getting into real estate, getting into jujitsu, MMA, all those different things. So um, I was inspired by him and him and I became pretty quick friends, actually. Uh, so they introduced us. He showed up. We uh, we started talking at a real estate event and then wound up just randomly in the same city. And I gave him a shout. And he showed up and we did some training together. And I mean, right off the bat, you could tell that he was a handful. Even my dude that was uh, there, another black belt guy, he was like, that guy's real good, man. So Jake's just a good dude. And I didn't know he was going through some of these other struggles that we were going to talk about that's uh, extremely expiring. And um you know, just humbling and it makes you think. And I, I think some of the things at the end, especially you'll listen to this, you get some good tips on, on real estate and starting out from the single family side to the multifamily side, some really cool things he breaks down on the strategies of how to fund deals and then how to exit the deals, even if the market's really not great for, for flipping or people aren't getting loans and how he's really just adjusted his strategy to win no matter what the market climate is, I think is extremely important. He talks about combat sports and how the sense of community and having people around you and education are the things that really make all the difference in the world. Because as we say during this interview, people aren't always investing in the deal, they're investing in you. So if you're willing to invest in yourself, you're going to see a big difference there and the results and the confidence and all that kind of stuff there, which is important when you're borrowing people's money. So we'll talk deep about that. You're going to get a lot of ins and outs, a lot of technical information. And then he goes into some of the personal stuff he's been through at the end. And uh, man, it got, gets you a little choked up. It's I, I highly recommend listening to this whole thing. Listen to the end because... Even if you don't think you're a mindset person, when you listen to what he says and the words and the tone, it's going to stop you. It's going to be profound. You really hear it. And, you know, that was a big takeaway for me. I had a couple of really good lines in there. I didn't know this was his first podcast. The guy's a freaking pro, so you wouldn't have known. But uh, very happy to have him on as, as the first one. I asked him many times to come on just because I like him and I wanted to talk to him. And I just knew he was going to be a great guest for you guys to listen to. And he was going to share a lot of experiences for new investors for experienced investors and for people that are just going through struggles in life that just need a fresh perspective and need some hope, this is a gentleman for you guys to definitely listen to. So check the show notes, follow him on social media, connect with him for any of your multifamily needs or funding stuff. If he's the right fit for you, definitely reach out. But big fan of Jake. Thank you so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. It's always a pleasure catching up with you, sir. And of course, the way you give back for this podcast, the only fee is to please subscribe to the podcast. Maybe leave a five-star review. Go on nicknicknick.com slash links, L-A-N-K-S, and it will give you every single way to subscribe to this podcast on every single platform, whether you want to listen to it, you want to watch it. 
please just subscribe. It takes a minute, not even hit the five stars, whatever it might be. And then when I share these clips of Dean on social media, whether you're on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, whatever it might be, the fee for the show is please just like the posts. Everybody is scrolling on social media anyway. It makes a huge difference for the show and for the guests and for the algorithms. If you share it, if you like it, if you hit a little fist bump, tag Dean, leave a question for him, let him know that you like it, let him know because the more the guests see that you guys are watching and appreciating the information, the more we can have another 300 plus episodes of this and kind of keep this party going. So please follow myself and Dean and uh, interact on social media. We're about to blow up our YouTube channel as well. And of course, the big thing here is I want to do real estate together. So if you are interested in doing deals, whether it's your first deal or your next deal, whether it's single family, multifamily, land, whatever it might be, if you want to buy a deal, if you want to sell a deal, or if you don't even know where you want to start, you're thinking maybe you want to partner on some level, all you have to do is text me the words real estate to 516-540-5733. That's text the word real estate to 516 516- 5405733. If you don't want to do that, you can DM me, preferably on Instagram is the one I check most than, than any of the other ones. DM me the word real estate so it comes to the top of the pile and the assistant sees it and passes it on to me to let me know that you want to discuss a deal. And of course, last but certainly not least, go on nicknicknick.com slash bigger pockets for a free checklist on how to bring more value to your buyers, whether you're a real estate agent, broker, or wholesaler. That's something you could do. And of course, I want to thank my guest host today, Jade. She is a phenomenal Black Anatolian mix, and she was supposed to be sleeping in the other room, but instead she decided to come sit here and hang by my feet while I did this podcast. So her and I both interviewed Jake, and she was a phenomenal guest host. So thank you, Jade. You have been excellent. I'm going to give her a nice bone. I'm going to give her a nice pet on the head, and she's going to get some treats, and I'll take her for a walk. So I love dogs. I can't tell you how nice it's been to have a little fuzzball keep me some company during this excellent podcast the dog brings its a game to everything it does and uh, i hope you guys are having a fantastic day i hope you enjoyed the episode and look forward to interacting and meeting some people i've known for a long time as well as uh meeting some new people and making some new relationships so thank you dean thank you you guys thank you jade a game podcast ladies and gentlemen have a great day all right my guest today on the a game podcast i am popping his podcast cherry he's a good friend of mine he is fighting out of Utah, and he is literally an ex, and maybe again soon, MMA fighter. He's a jiu-jitsu practitioner. He is a multi-family rock star. He's an educator. He's a cancer survivor. He's an inspirational story. He puts the fun in funding as he runs a fund that we're going to talk a little bit more about. And he's a friend of mine that I've been just dying to catch up with. So selfishly, I pushed him to get on and talk to me because I always enjoy talking to him, and I figured everybody else needs to know who Jake Dean is. So welcome to the A-Game Podcast. Thank you for coming on, and it's very nice to talk to you again, my good friend, Jake Dean Wales. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the A-Game Podcast. Hey, thanks, man. I appreciate it, man. I'm glad to be here with you. I know I've been watching you for a long time, so we met that a couple of years ago, and it's been fun ever since. You always hook me up with great gyms to go to whenever I'm traveling in town, so I appreciate that. Dude, it was good. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of, lot of really cool similarities there that I've, uh, I keep saying, like, jiu-jitsu is the new golf, and, like, the relationships mm-hmm. and stuff like that, but... um. Some things you did, which I'll kind of backtrack into about just showing up like at the end of the day, you know, you know how many people talk, which I'm sure you hear the same thing about like, oh, I want to get into real estate and I want to get into jujitsu. 
but then they never show up. You know, they never come to the classes. They never answer the phone calls. They never get on the webinars, and they never come to the jujitsu classes. And uh, and you sir definitely showed up even at six a.m. on a on a dark and stormy Texas morning. You showed up to roll with me and Chauncey over at Ten Planet, dude. So uh, you definitely has what it takes to be successful, dude. So we'll dig into all those different things. But for somebody who might be living under a rock, either not familiar with the badass that you are as of today, can you give a little bit about your backstory, who you are, and where you came from? Yeah, man. So I'm originally uh, from Minnesota. I've been out here in Utah with my kids for the last few years. I was in San Diego for a short time uh, before that. Um, I In 2008, when the market crashed, I opened a mortgage company. And after that, I that's when I picked, started picking up jujitsu as a hobby. I needed some, some you know, mind release. And after that, I started fighting a little bit. Um, and after that, you know, I did single family stuff and then jumped into multifamily a few years ago with a good mentor of mine, Patrick Devereaux. I'm sure I, you know him pretty well as well, right? So, and ever since then, it's been full, full steam ahead with, with multifamily. We have uh, a fund that we're running uh, right now, um, trying to pick up several doors as the market kind of shifts and change. We're excited for that. But it has been a blast and a blessing to, to be in this space. Um, and as you said, uh, the biggest thing is just getting started, right? It's, uh, it's all about getting that first, that first foot in the door and, and then just continually those actions. So that's what, that's what I've, I've learned in jujitsu has helped me the whole way through without that self-discipline. That's cool, man. And I, I think we're we're similar in the fact that I started getting into the real estate investing right around the same time I started getting into jiu-jitsu and MMA and all that stuff. So it really translates and kind of helps on both sides of that, which I think is interesting. But so you started out as a as a mortgage guy. So you weren't completely unfamiliar with an eat with you kill type model where you work on commission. So I think that that's a big stretch there. But did you grow up around people who worked commission jobs or entrepreneur type jobs, or was that something that was new to you? Oh, no, my dad was old school. You know, he was like, Hey, you go to school, you pay your taxes and you go die. You know, it seemed like <laughs> a lot of fun, you know, but no, I, I didn't. My, everybody in my family was a W2 guy and that just wasn't, that just wasn't my path. So when I jumped into mortgages, because, you know, I like to talk to people, I like to serve people. I like to, you know, bring the better out of them um, for them. And it seemed like people needed mortgages and, and it seemed like it was a good thing to do, helping them, you know, buy their home or whatever. It was a, it was a fun, fun business until 2008 hit where everything just kind of crashed, you know, and that's where it was like, oh shit, now what do I do? So uh, no, I've, I've never had, no, I lied. I've had one W2 job and they fired me and I thought I'm never going to do that again. Dude, so that's interesting. So this is this is where I love talking to entrepreneurs as much as like it's always a real estate podcast. We, we almost never get to the real estate because we talk about all this kind of stuff behind the scenes because I think it's really the important part of, and I just made a post about it because I had Dean Rogers on who was like a, an NFL guy. And we were talking about how most people will fail as entrepreneurs because most of them, they say they want to do stuff, but when it comes down to it, they don't actually want to train every day and miss meals and not be able to drink with their friends as much as they want the glory of fighting or getting a black belt. They don't actually want to have like the insecurity of not knowing when that next check's coming from. And I think when people take beatings or things get hard, they tend to quit and go back to what keeps them safe. Like on a, on a higher level, a wrestler gets his bell rung in a fight and instinctually he goes for a shot to close the distance. I feel like humans as in general, they take a financial hit and they go back to the safety of the W-2. So you transferring from somebody who's not comfortable or not used to that type of environment where you're only working on commissions, trying it and then having it fail when the market totally collapses like that, 
what type of internal conversations or struggles were you having? Was there any doubt of like, maybe I should go find something safe? Maybe I don't want to jump back at the now. Something like real estate investing, which at that time people would be like, what, you're getting out of mortgages and getting into real estate investing, which sounds even crazier now in 2008. So what, what was that transition like? What was the mental battles to stay in that fight? Well, you know, we had a good, and that's the thing, you're right. Like it was a mental battle. We, after I lost everything in 2008, like I was, yeah, maybe I should go get a job. I was married at the time. W2 seemed safe, but the market was crashing. But the cool thing about jujitsu, and like you said, it's kind of like golf now where you have, you connect and you know people. I met a dude who's like, hey, I see an opportunity here. So he said, hey, what's going to happen is as this market crashes, their single family homes are going to become available to purchase as we were seeing in 2009, 2010. So he grabbed a chunk of money. We went off to Indianapolis and we started buying these small homes at pennies on the dollar, pennies on the dollar. And so we started flipping these homes this way, putting renters in them, putting, you know, selling them off. And, and we made, started making good money that way. So it, it, it occurred to me like, hey, I should go get a job. My, my wife at this time, my ex-wife now, she was like, yeah, you need to go get a job. We need to make money. But that wasn't like my, my that wasn't me, right? I know I could do that, but it just wasn't, wasn't who I was supposed to be. So I went off with my buddy and we started flipping homes and we started selling them to investors as fully rent occupied homes. And we started making money that way and just seeing this opportunity, this market, not because of what I recognized, but because of the network that I was within, you know, in the Jiu-Jitsu area. So it was, a, it was a cool lesson. So there's a, there's a guy, Tim Kalisa, recently, he put this into words so well, because obviously there's the, the famous Warren Buffett quote about be greedy when people are fearful and fearful when people are greedy. But Tim Kalisa said there's always opportunity and volatility. And that really, I think, rings true to exactly what you just said about 2008 and today. I think too many people, when they see the sirens going, they're thinking, run away, run away, run away. And we're thinking like, okay, there's opportunity, there's opportunity, there's opportunity. So what was it specifically that in 2008, because there's a couple of different angles I want to take on this one, what were the other people around you? Were you getting negativity from, like you said, your friends and your family telling you like, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And because I think people do want to go back to that and they, they listen to people who have never tried something like, you know, they'll say, oh no, real estate doesn't work or real estate's really bad. And it's like, well, you tried it? It's like, no, no, no. But I read about a guy who once tried to buy a multifamily and it didn't work out at all. But like, if they asked you, if they asked me, if they asked somebody who's been doing it for 10, it's like going to ask somebody, oh, I asked somebody if jujitsu was dangerous. They said, yes, so I'm not going to do it. Well, who'd you ask? I asked my grandma. I said, what? What? go ask somebody who's tried jujitsu. You know what I mean? So, so having those people around you, like the person that you met through jujitsu, my, my longer question here is like, what was it about you that made it different? Because most people will listen to the people who don't know what they're talking about instead of going to the sources. And you chose to listen to somebody who actually had experience and go with your gut and go with what you believed in. And that's obviously gotten you to where you are today. Whereas if you listen to the people who've never tried anything in life worth failing at, they're probably still in the same situation they were 10 years ago. Absolutely. I mean, the, it's like lessons from both sides. So I, I saw what my dad did, right? And it was the same thing. My dad was very successful at what he did. He had a great W-2. He had a great um, um, 401k. When 2008 hit, like he lost 42% of his 401k. It, it was gone. And so he had to work extra hard to maintain and get to where his 401k would get him to go. And in my head, I would I did the math simply as that. Well, if I go work at a job, you know, I didn't finish college by any means because I jumped to the mortgage business. I'm thinking, well, I'm going to make 50, 60,000 a year. How am I going to get above that faster than where I need to go? 
So it just made more sense to me to say, hey, why don't you go take a chance on yourself, get uncomfortable for a little bit, don't listen to a lot of the, a lot of what people are saying, and just go take a chance on this because you can always go back to a W-2. You know, that, that's always going to be there. There's always going to be a job. There's always going to be this. There's always going to be that. Now, you know, like I said, was it the smartest thing? Yeah, for me it was, right? You know, but it also came with that risk. There was a lot of people, my family included, my, you know, my, my ex-wife was like supportive and like hesitant, but she's like, well, can you get a part-time job and do this? I'm like, no, if we're going to do this, we got to go all in. Like, that's what it is. It's an all-in factor. And if not, then we regroup and see where we go. We're not always destined to have to stay in the same path if it's not working. Let's choose not to make it work. You know, we'll choose something else. So there was a, for me, it was just, it was simply like, well, I can go bust my ass 40 hours a week and make 75K, whatever it is back in the day, or I can go do that in one house, or I can go do this and really try to replicate and really push hard to get out of my comfort zone, to really build something that's going to last, you know, talking about legacy and time and all these things too. I knew that wouldn't come from a W-2. And at the end of the day, I was young, man. I mean, if I failed, fail young so I can try again. So Yeah, man. I love that. I love that. So touching on another point of exactly what you just said, you talked about how you went to Indianapolis and you started flipping those properties to investors and doing some turnkey stuff. And when he was talking about opportunity and volatility, one of the things I tell everybody is I don't care what's happening in the market. If you're good at getting real estate at a discount, there's always somebody in whatever the market climate is that's willing to buy it from you if you get a big enough deal. The people I've gone to to sell them to over the last 15 years have changed every few years. The places I've gone to buy them, the buy box, the structures, but the principles of buying low and selling to somebody else higher than you bought it for really never change. There's always a buyer for good real estate deals. So that's something where you would think in, in 2008 when you were getting in and the market was bad. The, the, the stance would be it's bad because people aren't getting funding and there's no buyers, but you found buyers. So talk a little bit about that model, because I think that's a little bit prevalent today, too, when for the last couple of years, a lot of the wholesalers, their whole thing was, I'm just going to sell these deals to hedge funds. And then when the interest rates went up, they kind of pulled the brakes and their businesses fell apart instead of pivoting. So I feel like you pivoted and you look for a good opportunity. So talk a little bit about that, that model that you had around then. Well, it started off just simply talking to, to my dad and his colleagues, right? We said, hey, you guys have lost this amount of money on your 401k. So let's go target people who are working jobs, who have money in the 401k, setting up the 401k the proper way um, so they can invest in these deals and then have all the returns go back into the 401k so they can make it faster. So they saw that we were buying these homes, you know, all in a rehab for 20, 25,000 bucks. And they were getting, you know, we did a lot of section eight rents where they were getting 900 to 1100, 1200 bucks a month in rent covering everything plus profit. You know, you're seeing that your ROI on those properties are coming back really, really fast. So they would go in, they take their 401k money and they would start to invest. And then they would tell their friends and they would tell their friends. And then, you know, we had a whole list of people who are wanting to invest with us or we'd find properties for them that they would go buy and that they'd buy and hold. Now that became their retirement side. So it was fun to watch their mindset to say, oh, well, there's more outside of this because most people, they, they look at their 401k like this, like this is a blanket, right? You know, oh, it's going to protect me. It's going to do this. And 401k is, is, it's a good tool if utilized correctly, but if not, it's not going to save you in the end, right? You have to make it work more than your your average 4.4% a year that you make or whatever it is nowadays that you make on that on your 401k. So watching them, their aha moments too, like, oh, this is something I can do. Real estate, you know, is risky, but it's not as risky as say 
you know, stocks or someone doing my 401k, it was just changing their mindset as well. And so that's how we kind of started down the road. That's awesome. And so you basically, you, you sold them the properties, you, you basically bought them, you fixed them up and then you sold them to them turnkey. And the promise was like, they're mm -hmm. obviously getting a much better return of the property and more stability than they would with their 401k. Yep, exactly. Awesome. Now we, we'd have a renter in there for, for the year, you know? So after that, they would take over, manage it. So it was their property at that point. We just got them initial and we made sure that the renter was good solid for that year. And then they ran the property and some of them decided to sell them afterwards and some of them held them for a couple more years. You know, and they became long lifelong investors, which is now translated to some of them doing multifamily with us. That's awesome. So did you use the 401k money initially to buy them and fix them up as well? Or did you just have them use the 401k money to buy them after you had already fixed them up and put a renter in? After, after. So we took our own, we will raise some capital real quick. We went out and, and borrowed, you know, we got a hard money loan, right? And just started buying property, started fixing, flipping them. And then people, you know, with their 401ks would utilize their 401ks to buy these properties with inside their 401k. Dude, that, that's the point I wanted to hit home because what I think is when a lot of people tried exactly what you tried in 2008, 2009, the play was I'm going to buy it and then I'm going to fix it up. And they took out hard money loans. And I, I do, when I first started, I didn't know any better, 2005, 2006, I did the thing where I took out hard money loans and you see the spread on paper and you go, I can refi out, I can flip. But then the lenders went, nope, nobody's doing any cash out refis. Nobody's pulling any money out mm -hmm. and nobody's getting any loans for anything that's under a hundred grand anymore, unless you have like A plus everything. But your model is so much smarter because you weren't relying on lenders, you were relying on people that in a time when everything's bad and lenders aren't lending, their 401ks are performing around that time worse than they almost ever have in history. So mm -hmm. that's, if nobody took anything else away from that, that strategy is so genius because I feel like you put like a guaranteed safety net in on the exit of that property at a time where you can get some of the best deals, but you can't exit, you built in your exit door, man. And I think that's freaking awesome. Yeah, it was cool to see like it snowball and just return and return and we get more and more people just you know, doctors, dentists, and everyone like, well, I need to be able to make and match and get higher than what I'm getting because I'm getting killed in the marketplace. So that's how, that's how we really started rolling. I mean, that's, you know, just start talking to people, word of mouth. I still barely just got my first website. Everything <laughs> always has been, everything has always been word of mouth, you know, um, just because we try and handle and treat our investors and do the best that we can. Now, not everything's always been perfect, obviously, but we handle our investors, you know, with, we take care of them. You know, we love who we work with. We want to make sure they're, they're, they're taken care of. I love that, man. So piggybacking on that, what was it about Indianapolis and just in general, because I know you're doing stuff in Texas, you're doing stuff all over. So maybe not just Indianapolis specifically, but overall for somebody listening to this and they're wondering like, well, I live in my market and everybody thinks there's not deals in their market. What are the, some of the things you look for in a market that makes you decide that you want to maybe take a step forward and potentially invest in real estate there? Now, if we're looking, if we're talking about multifamily, you know, it's a little bit different than back in the day. You know, Indianapolis back in the day just had tracks of properties that were that were being left, you know, just being abandoned, and they were cheaper properties that we were looking for. In our buy box at that time, we were looking at things that were anywhere from now. Don't laugh, but this is true. Anywhere from five thousand to fifteen thousand purchase, and then add ten to fifteen thousand of rehab in them, sell them off for you know twenty five to fifty, and still getting a high ROI on that on that money. Um, and that's what we're looking for. So we did that in Indianapolis, Indiana, um, sorry, Indianapolis, Atlanta, Alabama, um, South Carolina. There were a ton of cities that we were doing at that, at that time because everything was just for fire sale. People were just abandoning properties. They were just leaving them there. 
So, you know, we didn't necessarily look too much. We looked at more of like, okay, what can we rent it out for, for section eight versus like job growth? Because we know everyone's going to need properties. Everyone's going to need homes. So that's what we were kind of more focused on just buying those properties and making them best and giving not, not only our investor a good experience, but the renter a good experience. A lot of those times, you know, the renters would have bad experiences with bad owners before. Now we'd come in, make sure the property looks nice, is run correctly, have, have good management there. And our, and our investors are good on that. So that's what we looked for when we were starting. Now with multifamily, it's a little bit different. You know, we want job growth. We want, you know, we want to see see the, you know, the economy rising up a little bit. So it's a little bit different what we're looking for. And we like to do in red states where we have a little bit more, um, you know, more um, ten, uh, buyer friendly versus tenant friendly. So we can control and raise rents and things like that. That's awesome, man. And two, two of those states, the, the reason I was asking about those I was doing stuff in Indianapolis for a while. I was doing stuff in Atlanta. I still own some properties there. But people that got in and did the strategy you did earlier, they didn't even realize that a couple of years later, when there was all those tracks of houses, they then got the Super Bowl. Atlanta got the Olympics. Like these big events came into these cities. And like, I do, I remember when I was investing in Indianapolis, when it first started, I was just telling somebody this story. I was trying to do it remotely and I would have to use like, I think it was Bing Maps then. I don't even think there was Google Maps. <laughs> And like I would put in Indianapolis and the, the Google car had never even gotten there. Like you couldn't get, it was like maps are not available in this area yet. Like, and that wasn't all that long ago. You know what I mean? So yeah, to go there yeah. and then watch where it is today, where people were like, no, I already know about Indianapolis. Now it's oversaturated. Like those properties that were probably worth 50, 60, $70,000 then are probably freaking a couple of hundred grand or more now. Like that, that stuff is so awesome. When you can get in on a market and get good cash flow and then have something like give it a stick of dynamite. Now like, I mean that those I'm sure those investors that kept those are extremely happy right now. Yeah, and and that's where we have long-term investors and there's where the one strategy like I said we made some mistakes is we should have held probably one out of five that we flipped for <laughs> ourselves, you know, because we would have had a nice little portfolio in a lot of like Atlanta, Indianapolis and these areas that you said that have just all of a sudden just gone crazy. Uh, regentrification is coming like there's some areas that we bought in before and people are like, "Oh, I just bought uh in Atlanta, um, I just bought a uh, um, you know, a, $500,000 home. I'm like, what? I mean, I bought homes at 50K for that price right there. You know, now it's like 500. So retrospectively, yeah, it would have been maybe smart to, to do that. But that just wasn't our business model at the time. We weren't for we weren't foreseeing that far down the road. I, I ask every year, I ask Santa for Christmas for a crystal ball or a time machine. Because I'm like, man, if <laughs> yeah. I could just that would really that would have really helped me there. But I don't know if you ever heard the the famous Alex Rodriguez quote that I think I think he only said it this year. But he said his two biggest regrets in life are not buying more real estate and not selling less real estate. And I was like, Phew. I was like, dude, yeah. that's, it's good, you know, because it's things like that when you go, if I only the 50 grand I made then I thought it was great. But now I look at what I left behind as equity on the table in like a North or a South Carolina. It's crazy, man. So, so yeah, still, insane. Yeah. So you started that with single family. Now talk about the transition from, because I feel like it's a pretty natural transition. These last couple of years, I see more people kind of jumping in as you are, sure, you, you and Tyler, like there's people that they can piggyback on with that experience with deals so they can do multifamily first. But I think most of the people that have been around for a decent amount of time, they did what we did, started with single family and then did a natural progression into multifamily. So talk a little bit about what that was like and what your, your maybe your strategies were then, then versus what your strategies for multifamily are right now. Well, yeah, our strategies, you know, how I got into it, like there was a slowdown for fix and flipping, you know, and I hate to say it this way. And I, you know, kind of got comfortable. We all get comfortable a little bit. So I wasn't looking at all the strategies that you look, you can see. And to be honest, I, I started playing the blame game. Like, 
HGTV screwed everybody in for, for single family stuff. It taught everyone, hey, you can go in in an hour and a half and reflip a whole house. So now, you know, prices that were on our price point, our buy box were starting to get purchased out of. Instead of pivoting in that, that arena, I thought, man, there's got to be something different. And there was, still, there was still plenty of money to be made in single family, but I just was like, well, I wanted to go bigger and go more. So that's when I started really started to pay attention to multifamily. And that's where I came across Tyler Devereaux and his, you know, his classes and his education to say, hey, no, there is more and you can actually do more. Because when I looked at multifamily, I first, I honestly thought like, oh, that is only for the mega rich. That is for the Warren Buffett of the world. All these people who have just dollars, just building everything and buying everything. I had no idea that I and our investors could own a property, run the property, get the income off the property, and then, you know, kind of sell it in, in the same type of manner. It just didn't, it didn't even make sense that that was a real thing. So once I learned how, about syndication and how you stretch for property and a deal and just really jumping into the whole mindset of, hey, think bigger, as Tyler would say. It's like, it's a beautiful, beautiful game because you don't have to have any experience in single family. You really don't. The best thing that you can do is just be good at relationships. If you're good at relationships, you'll be able to get multifamily deals done. That's it. If you have been kicking yourself that you didn't start investing in real estate sooner, whether you're beginner, intermediate, or advanced, any way you're looking to get it on a residential, commercial, land development, wholesale, and fix and flips, whatever it is, let's find a way to get you involved in some projects, get you some properties, whether you want to sell some properties to me, whether you want to buy some properties from me, whether residential, fix and flip, cash flow, multifamily, whatever it is you're looking for, let's figure out a way to get you involved or find a way for us to partner up on some deals. Go to www.nicknicknick.com. Go on the consultation tab and figure out how to schedule an appointment to talk about where you fit in if you are not sure. Or you can just reach out to me on any of my social media channels. If you go on www.nicknicknick.com slash links, you will see all the different ways to connect with me and figure out how we can start to work together, make it happen. Everybody that invests in real estate always just says they wish they did it sooner. Best time to start is today. That's awesome, man. So I didn't realize, so you started out as a student at Tyler's? Yeah. That's awesome, dude. And shout out to Tyler Devereaux. He's on the podcast. Great guy. Awesome guest. Obviously, if it wasn't for him, you and I wouldn't have met because he, he was like, yeah, yeah. man, coming out over there in Minneapolis. And as soon as yeah. I rolled up, everybody was like, dude, you should meet this guy, Jake. He's a fighter. And I was like, oh, cool. And then we like, went and kind of hitting it off. But that's awesome because that, I started like the same type of thing, man. I, I went as a student with Robert Allen at the time, and I just started mm -hmm. kind of doing deals. And then they invited me back to tell my story kind of like yours did. So I think that that's a whole other interesting topic because as I'm sure you've seen over the years, dude, from being a student, people that were literally in the same class as me left there and you ask them 15 years later, they're going to tell you, man, those classes, those are a waste of time. Real estate doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Those things are just a scam. And then literally the other half of the room that sat in the same seat with the same teacher and the same information went and created an, an entire life and legacy of themselves in real estate. So it really is one of those things of like, what do you choose to do with it? What do you choose to take with it? Because everybody has the same opportunity, but somebody sitting right next to you at that same exact class might've left there and done nothing. And you literally changed your life and your family's life. What do you think the difference is between people that go there and they kick butt or people that go there and they kick tires? Cause you've been on both sides of it now. Yeah. I mean, it, to take it to jujitsu, like it's your why, right? Like so when I walked into jiu-jitsu my first time, I, my teacher always said this, my sensei, he's like, hey, you know, the, uh, the hardest belt to get is your white belt. <laughs> That's it. Because you actually have to show up, right? You actually have to show up, walk in the classroom and start to get your ass kicked a little bit. 
And then he said, the black belt is actually just a white belt who didn't ever quit. That's it. So it is just the mindset of like, hey, my why is determining that I'm going to continue to do this. Um, I want my black belt or I want multifamily. So it's just those consistent actions of showing up each and every single day. And that's it. Because once you start, uh, I was reading this book um, and it talked about Steve Martin, right? Steve Martin is the same. He's a comedian. If you know, everyone might be super young. I don't know. <laughs> but he's like, he started, he wanted to play the banjo. And he's like, well, if I start today, if I play every day, then sooner or later in four years, I'll, I'll play the banjo every day. You know, it is just being consistent in the actions that you take every day. One, one little thing that's going to help you be better in whatever you're deciding to do, whether it be multifamily, jujitsu, playing the banjo, it's just showing up being consistent while showing up and doing the work. You know, people want this freaking shortcut from A to Z. The beauty is in that the hard work is like, you know, jujitsu, it's a struggle sometimes, man. But once you learn to love the process of getting beat up a little bit and then understanding the move and really mastering that move so you can hit it over and over, there's nothing better than that feeling is that that dirty work that you have to really fall in love with. I love that, man. And the reason, this is why you're my guy, Jake Dean, because I literally sent out uh, an Instagram post to a couple of people right before this podcast, uh, Steve Martin playing the banjo. That's so funny that you brought that up because I was like, man, this guy's incredible. Awesome. Like I just did that today. It's funny. I'll forward it to you, but man, he 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 is incredible. But it's just like that's you said, awesome. the showing up, I, I think is everything. And that's why like you were immediately legitimate and aces in my book that morning that you showed up to jujitsu, man, because on top of it being... One of those things where some, because I, I, you know, we all make excuses sometimes, but it is a legitimate excuse when you're going to have to teach investors all day long. You got a long weekend ahead of you, getting up at five to go meet somebody for jujitsu at six. When we didn't even, and sometimes you don't, you didn't, you've never really trained together yet. So I could be a mm. dick. You know what I mean? Like you really just don't know. So there's a lot of like legitimate excuses of, I don't really know this guy. I can get hurt. I have to rest. I have to this. I have to that. But you didn't make those excuses. You showed up. And I love that whole thing with the slight edge principle of the things in life that will make you successful are very easy to do. And they're also very easy not to do. It was very easy for you to hit the snooze button and tell yourself a legitimate story of why you weren't going to show up to jujitsu that morning. But it was also very easy just to get out of bed and show up, man. And you did. And immediately I was like, that is why he's successful. That's why we're, he's where he is today. And other people aren't because everybody else hit the snooze button. And me, you, and Chauncey were there, man, making it happen. So my in, in my experience, part of the reason I'm somebody who takes actions is because I live so much of my life not taking actions and missing out on opportunities. And I got sick of that feeling of regret, especially after I got very hurt and I almost lost like you know all my health. I was like, I'm, I'm never going to let this happen again. What is it in you that has made you be somebody who takes chances and pushes forward like that? I think the exact same thing. There's been plenty of times when I haven't done what I'm supposed to do. And I think that is harder now. Uh, to live with than doing what you're saying you're going to do. I think not hitting the snooze button is easier than hitting the snooze button. Yeah, you're going to hit the snooze button. You'll get that momentary, you know, self-relief and, oh, I get to sleep in and he'll understand and all the other bullshit that you tell yourself. But every time you just lie to yourself, you're just cutting your legs out from underneath you even more, right? Just actually doing what you say, getting out of bed, rolling up, going to jujitsu, going to the gym, whatever it is, it's easier to do than making up a story. You literally have to sit there and think to yourself, oh, what is the story that I can tell this dude that sounds good enough that it's okay for me not to show up rather than just like, I'm here. That, that, I mean, it's more work in my opinion. Your brain has to go through all this stuff to figure out this live excuse and then you have to justify it and then you feel miserable the rest of your day thinking, 
oh man, if I see Nick again, oh man, that's embarrassing. I'm really going to have to double down now on my lie. <laughs> I'm going to have to double down on my excuse. You know, like screw that. Just roll out of bed, go get your ass kicked and, and everything feels better because you started your day off with a win. You know, that's, that's it. awesome, man. That's even just like Tyler. Like when I saw Tyler, man, he had come like fresh off of a long ass flight from Hawaii. And the first thing he did was like grab his bag and go to yoga for like two hours and came in. And I was like, man, that's, you know, it would have been very easy. Like, oh, but you know, that that's where we talk about communities now going back to jujitsu and being surrounded with people like Tyler. I think it's really interesting because I didn't know that you were a student of his. And I think that that's even more incredible because when they first started asking me like, hey man, like, do you want to maybe start coming out on the road a little bit and start telling your story as a student? My selfish reason for doing it was I don't have anybody else in my life that does business or real estate or, or like personal development or mindset the way that these guys do. I get to go out twice a, a month and spend three days with some of like the most inspiring, like I, they were by far the most successful people I knew in my life at that time. So I heard the whole five people you hang around and those things started to roll off on you. So how has that been like being around somebody like Tyler, who I'm sure like most people you look up to initially, and then your heroes become your peers and your friends. What has that experience been like being able to really like spend that much time with somebody who inspired you and really just became a close knit person in your circle? Not only, I mean, not only that, but it's, it's the fact that as you, once you start to show up and you really become, like you said, um, peers with people, then you get to meet people who they are, they inspire, right. Are inspired by them. So now I have Ryan and, and Ryan, who is his partner, Todd, who's his partner, all these people that I know now are in my network that are just continuing to inspire and grow and lift up. So as you said, you, you are the sum of your five people. And all of a sudden now you're five people, not that you ever have haters on these other people that really weren't were there with you or they're doing their own thing and maybe in a different way, but you're really in the mix of those people who, ins who are inspiring. And to see Tyler, like you said, like he doesn't stop. If he says he's going to hit the gym, like he's coming from Hawaii and he was in, he was in Tampa. Like he flew from Hawaii from Tampa. He was up at four 30 hitting the gym. I mean, it's like, well, this dude's doing it. And this is what he has. I've got to do that because I know I can get there by following the simple steps of someone who is doing it. So, and then also now your confidence kicks in and now people are watching you saying, well, if Jake Dean can do this, well, shit, if Jake's not that smart. I can do this, right? <laughs> I'll just follow him. And then, and now you're starting to inspire a whole nother set of people and your group is growing and growing. And now also you have these massive, just a alpha type people just going and pushing you. And now I don't want to quit because who's watching me, right? My daughter's Sophie, she works for our company too. And she's like, I'm doing 75 hard dad. And she's like balling out on it. She hasn't skipped. She posts everything that she's doing. She's like, this is because I'm watching your, if you're not quitting dad, I'm not quitting. I'm like, okay. Yeah. So now you're inspiring a whole different group of people. And I'm watching Tyler. It's like this beautiful chain of, of just energies going forward. And we just, everyone's like, Hey, I wanted to do good. I wanted to do well because when you do well, that also inspires me. It's just, it's, it's fun to watch and be a part of that group. That's incredible, man. And I think uh, two two things on that. One of them, when we talk about, well, I'll, I'll go to the jiu-jitsu thing first. When we talk about that, the jiu-jitsu and that sort of thing, that community to me was a game changer in the same way that you just said for business. Because when I had good business partners around me, and I've had a bunch of them that have come and gone over the years, but like a good business partner that, you know, is carrying their weight and they're doing what they're supposed to do. It makes you be accountable to them, not because you have to, but because you want to, because you don't want to let them down because they're not letting you down. And I think that that's 
a huge change and a huge difference. Like the motivation is definitely different, especially for an entrepreneur person. Sometimes guys like us, if somebody says you have to do this, you kind of like, I just, it's just not, we go, no, well, now I don't want to do that just because you told me to. But when it's like, do whatever you want, but I want to make sure I show up for this person. I found that that trickles down where there was times that I wanted to go out and drink beer and have pizza or like slack off, but you're going, no, like my guys help me get ready for a fight or for a jujitsu tournament and they have something coming up and they need me to be a good training partner tomorrow at nine o'clock in the morning. So I'm going to be designated driver. I'm going to go for a run so I can be in shape. Like Ally Quinta doesn't need to call me to, to roll with him at all. He's got a hundred people, but being that he's letting me come in and be part of that, I want to make sure I show up from as best I can. So I have a duty to myself to be a good training partner to him. So I think what you just nailed on that accountability of like really getting people around you that you believe in, that believe in you, and they're going to help you rise that tide. That's really a game changer because people will, I'll watch it. Like they'll just pair up with a stranger to be like, let's be accountability partners. I'm like, that's never going to work out because you don't have any sort of actual like vested interest in that person at all. So talk a little bit about how your groups in jujitsu and MMA and that whole thing has helped you maybe on some of your tough days in business. Oh God. Yeah. Like that, that mental stability of like having that team, like just there for you, like uh, cutting weight, you know, your guys show up all the time. They will be in the sauna with you, cutting weight, supporting you to get through that. That has translated over to, you know, business. Hey, if you're, if you're struggling with something, let's figure it out. Let's figure it out together and let's walk through the process and walk through the steps to figure out what's going on. You know, your teammates that you surround yourself in your business and in jujitsu and any sports, man, if you don't, like you just said it best, if you don't have good teammates with you, like you're in the wrong team, you're on the, you're on the wrong game. That's why partnerships are so beautiful and so important and also so tricky because you want to be able to sometimes have that great conversation, but you also want to have someone who's going to say, look, man, you are doing it wrong but you also have to learn how to accept that feedback in jujitsu. It's really easy. Like you get caught in something not used, you done fucked up. Right. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm okay. yeah. Like you get caught and you get instant feedback. Well, you messed up. Let's fix that. You know, in business, our egos a lot of times get in the way of like, no, I'm doing it right. And you have to have that partner who has that boundary to say, no, you're doing it wrong. And let me show you how, and then you have to be able to accept that feedback because you know that your partner is going to show up for you all the time. And as they show up more and more for you, they, they build that credibility of saying, no, you, you're doing it wrong. And let me show you how. So it's that, that credibility, that building that trust, just like in jujitsu, just like in sports with your teammates. And that really, I think that's how sports, that's why I think some of the best athletes I know are some of the best entrepreneurs, because they know how to build around them and bring the right people into them. That's going to be able to a hold them accountable and also push and be pushed. Dude, that's that's incredible, man. I love that. You're that's such a great quote. Like, if you don't have great teammates around you, you're on the wrong team. Like, it it is really funny because people don't want to change teams because they think they got their squad, and you realize that's not really a a good like. You're in a gang, dude. Like, that's not that's not a team. There's a difference there. So I think that's awesome, man. So talking about the fighting stuff now. Well, actually, let me back this up one more time. So the last thing I was going to talk about on the real estate side before we nerd out on the the jujitsu MMA stuff, you talked about how. When you started going, talking to people, you explained to them like, hey, here's what you're making. Here's what you can make. Here's what we bring to the table. Here's the area. Here's the return. Here's the ROI. And I think a lot of people are in a position where everybody wants to get into real estate, but they're really just not sure. They don't have confidence. And Goggins was talking about this, like belief versus hope. And I think a lot of people are like, oh, man, I hope there's something bad out there. I like to make money. But then somebody like you comes along and goes, no, this is a real deal. Like, here's legitimately what you can make. Here's what I can do. And now they go, oh, okay, I believe I can do that now. And you're helping them. 
because you were educated, you were able to give people that belief. So they didn't really, at the end of the day, feel confident in the deal. They felt confident in your confidence in the deal. And that helped you make a shit ton of money and do a lot of real estate. So I think it's interesting being that probably if it wasn't for you having confidence and education, you probably never would have even done that first deal, which wouldn't have led you to where you are today. And now you have all these people that I'm sure you come across just like me where go, well, education is not important. I'll just watch a couple of videos on YouTube and I'll go make a bunch of money in multifamily and real estate. It's like, dude, you're going to go borrow friends and family's money and trust that you're not going to lose their life savings mm -hmm. based on a couple of YouTube videos. Like, if anything, I feel it's completely reckless to not get educated. You wouldn't go do surgery and then go, well, I'm going to try. And if it doesn't work, Jake, then I'll call you and I'll tell you that I killed a few. Like, no, it doesn't work like that. So I've always been a huge believer in education because- I watched what it did when I didn't get it. And then I went, I'll never do that again. So for you though, like, how is that education? Like, like just what does that mean to you? How has that helped you? What's the importance to you of education and anything, whether it's jujitsu, I get coaches striking, I get coaches, real estate, I get coaches and, and I get specific coaches. Like I don't get one guy to show me everything. I have my jujitsu coach, I have my boxing coach, I have my, mm -hmm. my single family guys, but then you have your tired Devereaux and your Jake Deans for your multifamily, like go to your specialists, go to people who really understand that craft. Yeah, it's it's actually the education gives you the belief that it can be done, because most teachers, most most jujitsu practitioners, uh, multifamily guys are doing the business. So if they're doing the business, they have the understanding, and that's that's the big belief that they can take that education and show you what their system is, right? Now there's there's more than ten ways to do multifamily, you know, but once you find someone who you resonate with and who has an a system and education that they can show you and show you how to do it. Follow that system. You don't necessarily always have to replicate or, or invent the wheel. Just take your take what they're doing, add your spin on it. So therefore, now it's yours, right? And now you can take that education, which gives you the confidence to do the deal. I mean, you still have to do the work, but the confidence is what you you said something like, "Hey, they're not necessarily investing in the deal right away. They're investing in myself. The reason they're investing in myself is because I'm confident that these numbers that I'm showing you." Are, are good because I've done the work because I've educated myself to understand how it works, how it breaks down. So I can show this to you and say, here's what your number is. This is what you should receive. This is what your return is because I learned it from someone who is doing the business. Now I'm doing the business so I can show my investors. This is where we go. And just in case you need help, look, my sponsor, one of the guys that I listen to and talk to, he's got X amount of doors and this is what he's done. And we're able to follow that same path. I'm just a little far, little, little behind him, but I'm, I'm running, I'm trying to catch him. You know what I mean? But that's just continuing to educate himself. I mean, you know, Tony Robbins, Warren Buffett, all say, I'll say it. The best investment is yourself. You will never lose money on educating yourself and becoming a better version of yourself, no matter what you do. And if that's in multifamily, if it's investing, if you are an investor who just like, I love what I do, but I need to be able to be able to retire and I want to use multifamily, talk to someone like myself, talk to someone like Nick that says, this is how we get you there. This is now, there's always risk in everything, but this is why, how we mitigate that risk by looking at all the parameters, because we, as, as real estate professionals have to know the education, we have to know the game that's being played. So we educate ourselves in that game. And that, that's why education is continually important, not just the one time, hey, I'm done and I learned multifamily and all I'll ever do. I mean, doctors, they continue to certify, you know, you have to be updated. You don't want a doctor who's like, oh, the last time I did boards was, you know, 30 years ago or whatever. <laughs> Medicine's changed.
Dude, that's awesome. That's a really great analogy. So that that's incredible, man. I, I second that. I, th I think it's amazing. And uh, I think you worded it perfectly. So transitioning now to jujitsu, to MMA, all that stuff. Was jujitsu the first martial art you ever took? Yeah, 100% it was. So, so actually, no, that's a lie. So kickboxing was the very first thing. I just got divorced. I was fat. And someone's like, hey, you need to go. You need to go try some kickboxing at the new gym. So I'm like, all right, cool. So I went in there, I started kickboxing. I'm like, oh, this is badass. I feel like a badass, you know? And there's this whole little room of dudes like in pajamas. I'm like, what the hell is going on in there? So I walk in there, I look, I look and my um, the, my coach at the time, Jason Mertlick, uh, he, uh, he's like, hey, you should come try this. I'm like, nah, I don't know anything about wrestling. I'll just, I'll just come out here, I'll, I'll come back to kickboxing. So he continued on me, forced on me. He's like, just come try it. You'll love it if you try it. I'm like, all right, I'll come try it. So he put me... My first rounds, I got in there and there was this kid, I swear he's like 18, 19 years old, maybe 125 pounds. And I was a big dude. And he's like, yeah, just go with this guy, but be careful with him. I'm like, I'll be careful with him. He's like, no, no, no. He needs to be careful with you. His name is Dan Bishop. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm way bigger than this dude. He's like, okay. The dude tapped <laughs> me out. I, I shit you not. He tapped me out. I, I honestly, in five minutes, I don't even know. All I know is I walked out of the gym like, I'm learning that shit because if that little kid can kick my ass, I'm going to figure this shit out. And ever since then, it's been like, it's been my drug. I'm like, oh, I got to do some more of that. I got to figure it out. Got to do some more of that. So that was, uh, that was my transition to jiu-jitsu. It was, a, it was, a, it was really eye-opening that this little scrawny pound kid just worked me. Like, no tomorrow. <laughs> but I think that that's, again, the key to success is you, you go in, you think something's easy, you're interested in doing it, and then you find that it's hard and you get humbled. And then you make the decision of, I'm going to go find something else that feeds my ego and makes me feel good. You're going to go, that was inspiring. I'm going to go figure out how that guy did that. And like, that's the difference, man. You know what I mean? Like, cause it was the same thing for me. It was, I'm going to go back there tomorrow and I'm still going to get my ass kicked. My goal is just not to get it kicked as bad or the same way as I did yesterday, but there's a long like pole there and things like that. And, uh, you know, I think that that's a, an interesting thing there. So now talk about, you start out as a jiu-jitsu guy. How did you wind up getting into MMA and actually taking fights? Because I think a misconception when I, I'm, I'm sure you do the same thing when it's like, I'm a big preacher of like jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu. And they think that the only people that go to jiu-jitsu or boxing classes are people who want to go fight in the UFC. And I'm like, 98% of the people in that gym are there to get in shape because they're bored running on a treadmill or for the company and the camaraderie that you get there because of the community there. Most of them aren't actually fighters. Yeah. Um, you know, the thing is, that I wasn't, like you said, I wasn't planning on looking to get into MMA or fighting or, or even, uh, or anything like that boxing. It just kind of happened. Like I like to test myself, I guess that's the thing, like you said. So there was, there was just my first, my first, uh, comp, you know, combat was boxing. It was just a straight boxing match. And so Jason has also taught me boxing and Kwame. Um, they're like, Hey, we're doing the smoker fight. You should just come do a boxing match because I'm like, I wasn't sure about the whole MMA thing. And he's like, okay. So I came, I went in, did a boxing, boxing match. I knocked the guy out in the, I think it was the second round now. And at that point I'm like, Ooh, that was fun. Right. <laughs> that, was, that, that was it. That was addicting too. And so then it just started transitioning into MMA, you know, it just started transitioning. I did a lot of smoker shows. I did a lot of a couple, you know, I never, I was, I got in the sport, right. Kind of that, you know, Forrest Griffin stage where we still kind of new, but I was still older because I was 34 at the time. And so they weren't looking for like old dudes to come in. They were looking for like these young, young kids to go on. So, you know, I loved it. And I, I was one of the best training partners. I had some fights. I had some bad fights. My first fight I ever was in MMA fight. I got knocked the fuck out because I didn't listen to the ref. Right. And then after that, I started winning some more. So it was, 
it was a lot of fun, man. It was an experience that I continue to love. I mean, if they let, let 47 year olds fight, I probably would, you know, just to challenge myself. But yeah, it, it wasn't something I was looking to get into, but I, I do like to challenge and push myself to see where you can go and how far you can push yourself to, to be great. Man, that that's so well said. I think it's uh, Dean Carnot, if you ever look him up, he talks about it. He runs like 200 mile marathons every weekend and he's 66 years old. And he said he constantly does it to show people that nobody's really playing to what their true potential could be. And I feel like guys like you always inspire me to try and like, like do better, take it to another level, do better, take it to another level. And I, I think you're an inspiring guy, man. And if you weren't inspiring enough, you know, we could we can edit this whole last part out if you don't want to. But I feel like the battles from, you know, you go to divorce, you get divorced, you put weight on, you got to get back in shape. That's a battle. Getting back on track, that's a battle. It, the the 2008 mortgage thing like that kind of dries up that's a battle and you you've taken a lot of hits and then you have that mental fortitude to kind of get back up and the rocky story live to fight another day and you come up winning on top you get knocked out in the mma fight you fight again you win you win you win business same thing so being that you've kind of had these fights along your path for the last 10 or 15 years of tough things that you've had to prepare yourself for battle for and come through you recently, which I didn't even know when we were training, but you recently overcame cancer and that's a, a whole other battle, man. So do you feel like those past tests were there to prepare you for that big one? Because I feel like if you never had any challenges or obstacles to get through in life, that's a really tough mental battle that I feel like you, not, not that I'm sure it's ever easy, but we're probably a little bit more prepared for that fight than the average bear. It was, it was definitely a shocker. You know, I mean, I, it was a year ago, about a year ago, I found out I got the text messages from my doctor, who's a good friend of mine and, and whatnot. And so, you know, there'd been a lot and through that whole time of like fighting and whatnot, there's, there's, you know, you, sometimes you wake up and you just fight because that's what you know. And then sometimes you wake up and you figure out what your why is. And now you have a whole different reason for fighting through this whole time of working with Tyler and mindset and starting to really educate myself instead of just saying, Hey, I'm going to go to work because I'm good at working. And I like to work, figure out my purpose, why I want to work. You know, that's, that's what I think really changed the game for me because, you know, cancer wasn't fun. It's, it's not fun still. And it is, you know, it's, you think all the hardships behind you and then all of a sudden God's like, Hey, no, you got one more and see what to do with this. So I think that everything that I had been doing and then had accelerated to do on mindset and how I view the world prepared me for cancer because I, I took it as like, okay, well, what do I have to learn? You know, what, what do I get to learn out of this instead of really hanging my head and thinking, well, fuck, what do I do now? You know, wh what do I do now? So I, I just decided to go in and like with everything else I do and, but do it differently, being grateful for the opportunity that I get to learn being grateful for the cancer. I know that sounds really weird, but it, it, it showed me and I, and I posted this, I'm not a big post for anything, but I post my, my ex-wife, by the way, who is one of my best friends, by the way, after all these years of marriage, she's one of my best friends, but uh, you know, I just posted about gratitude and what I'm going to learn about it. And I think it helped me change my perspective on what I was going through and hopefully helps other people change the perspective because, you know, it's, it is. It's, it's stupid. You know, cancer sucks and it's limited a lot of things that I could do. And it took a lot of time to really kind of get to where I'm at now. And, you know, I don't know. It's, but I know it's teaching me that I had to slow down. You know, I was going too fast through life and I wasn't enjoying life. 
I wasn't, I, I don't take a lot of vacations. I don't like, I don't do those things because I love the work. But what's the beauty in life if you don't stop to look around and enjoy everything that we have? You know, my why is time. And it's not necessarily just for myself, but I'm trying to buy my kids time because the, the way our economy is going, who knows what's going to happen. So if I can afford them the opportunity to have time and visit and see the world, like I'm going to start traveling and seeing the world because my opportunity and what I want to do is travel and time is I want to give them time for their life to really be good as well. So it's the stop and smell the roses, what I've had to learn how to do, which has always been the hardest thing for me to do, but it's also been the most beautiful thing. I mean, yesterday, not to get, you know, sappy, but I just, they, there was rain and there's this beautiful sunset and I've stopped for the first time and last time I can remember and just, it was beautiful. It was, it was amazing, you know, and I had not taken a lot of time to see that, but I see things differently now and I see the beauty in most things and all things and how I treat people. And hopefully that rubs off on people that I, that I meet and I talk with and I, and, and that worked with me. Well, it has definitely rubbed off on me, sir. You and I clicked from the beginning. I was inspired by you from the beginning. And as I've watched you, I've been even more inspired by you, not even realizing the other struggles that have, you've overcome and stuff, man. I think you're incredible. And I think if your mission, like you said, when you first started out was, doing your best so you can show other people that they can do their best and they're capable of more in life and just really creating an example. I think you're doing a fantastic job of that, man. And I think you should uh, definitely continue to do so. I know you talked a little bit about maybe starting your own podcast. And I, I think one of the, the stop and smell the roses things that I've gotten from this is, I'm, I'm again, I, we're all the kind of the same thing, but I find it extremely, I've, I feel very lucky that I get to get people like you for an hour that literally put their phone down and we have an uninterrupted conversation because most people don't even get that with like their spouse because they're still scrolling, they're still texting, they're still everything. And there's something about like engaging that this doesn't happen anymore. And that's where I like yeah. for podcasts and stuff. I'm like, I learned more about some of my friends I've been friends with for 10 or 15 years because you're not just in between training rounds, like making small talk. You get to actually be engaged with somebody and, uh, it's just, it's connecting on a different level, man. And I'm very thankful and grateful that you came on and connected with us today. And you definitely bought your A game. And I told you that this was going to be a banger episode and it was going to be an awesome conversation. And I'm very happy that you came on and we were your first one, man. But I absolutely love this. I don't want to take up your whole day, but talk a little bit about what are you working on now? What's coming for the future? What are all things Jake Dean look like personally, professionally? Plug away, sir. Tell everybody what's going on and how to find you. We are working on a fund uh, right now, me and my team, um, to buy more multifamily assets. There's a big shift that's going to be coming down, like in the 2008, it depends on who you listen to, for multifamily. And so we are positioning ourselves to raise capital uh, to do so. Uh, and, and just buy more, buy more properties so our investors can have you know, good returns, work on their retirement. And not only that, but give a good community for the, for the tenants that we, that we are going to buy these properties for. I think that's the biggest thing. Tenants and investors, they're, they're our number one priority. So we have, um, you know, I have a website, I think it's, it's <laughs> Apogee Capital, apogee-capital.com. Um, or you can, you know, I don't know, I, I can give you my email or whatever you need to get up on me. I'd love to speak with anybody who's interested in investing or learning more about multifamily. It's a passion of mine and I'd love to help correct or fix any questions or anything that anybody has. So. 
I think that's excellent, man. And for anybody listening, obviously, in the show notes, just click on the episode. I'll put all the live links for any of the social handles, any of the websites and stuff. We'll knock that all down so they can click away and they can connect with you. But as I said, sir, I became a fan of you right from the beginning because I could tell that you bring your A-game to everything you do, and you have absolutely brought your A-game to this episode today. Any final thoughts before I let you go? Man, I appreciate you. Uh, you know, like you said, I, when I first topped on this, I'm like, oh, shit. No, like, <laughs> it was nerve-wracking. I appreciate you uh, having me on, man. It was a blast. I'm excited to continue to work with you, man, and hopefully we get to train some more. And I just appreciate you me having me on. Like, like yeah, that's I, I am just super grateful for, for this opportunity, so I appreciate it. Anytime, man. And again, I'm a big believer. You should have your own podcast. Hopefully that's coming soon. But anytime you got anything going on, you know, I told you selfishly from the beginning, this was more for me to say, I want to hang out with Jake for an hour. It's been a little too long. So let's jump on and do a podcast and hopefully people enjoy it. So I thought you bought the heat, man. I appreciate it. I'm very happy that you're doing well physically, financially, emotionally, all those things, man. Very happy to see you win and uh, hit me up in a couple of weeks. You'll be in Chicago and uh, we'll get some training in. Sounds good, man. I appreciate it. Awesome, my brother. Have a great day. Jake Dean, ladies and gentlemen.